Well, good morning. Uh, and as we come to this day in the Christian calendar, I know it isn't a, uh, an original question, but it does cry out to be asked. What on earth is good about Good Friday? If it hadn't been co-opted by consumerist North America, uh, Black Friday surely would have been a better description, or at least Bad Friday, or the day of shame. It was a day when the absolute worst of human nature was in fullest display. Think about it. This is the day that a perfectly innocent man the best man who ever lived, was lynched. No fair trial, no due process, convicted in the back rooms, uh, largely before a holidaying crowd was even awake in the morning. It was a day of the most profound personal betrayal, almost unimaginable sadistic brutality, unrestrained slander and mockery, unreasoning hatred, raw political manipulation, perjury, suicide, and eventually, of course, murder. As Ben Agbonkesi so brilliantly reminded us last Sunday, as soon as Jesus went public with his identity as the promised Messiah of Israel, six days earlier on what we now call, remember, as Palm Sunday, the die was irrevocably cast. The promised king was revealed. He'd come to his own, but they would not, they could not accept him. To do so would bring the very wrath of their uh, enslaving power, uh, Rome at that point, would bring that down on them. So, to preserve their own place in the world, they were compelled to rid the earth of him. And they did. This was not a good day. So, how would you answer the question, what's good about Good Friday? And I wish we could sit around in a circle and uh, share about that, uh, because I know you would provide insights that uh, were uh, profound and helpful. But all of those insights must begin with just how bad Good Friday actually was. And it began in the Garden of Gethsemane early Friday morning. And there the depths of Jesus' suffering as a man are clearly revealed. So I'd like us to read together from Mark chapter 14. I'll give you a chance if you've got Bibles or Bible apps to uh, access, you can do that. But the scene, the scene is this. On Thursday evening, they had the, the Lord's Supper together, the last meal, the last supper with Jesus and his disciples. And then Jesus taught for a significant period of time, the most amazing teaching. You can see that in John 15 to 17, 14 to 17, if you like. Uh, not now, but event later. <laughs> uh, but then they go off to a place where they often hung out, and it was 
not far. They walked a ways and then uh, landed in the Garden of Gethsemane, where this took place. Mark 14, beginning at verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful. I mean, the language that we interpret this just doesn't do it justice. But my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. It's the middle of the night. And they did not know how to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let's be going. See? My betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Amen. Here the hour of Jesus' suffering had arrived. It was upon him, and he contemplated what lay before. And as he did, he literally begged his Father in heaven, to take this cup from him. He knew what was coming. It wasn't just guess. There was no uh, guessing involved. He knew what was coming, and he was in anguish with his desire to escape it. Three times he expresses uh, to his Father, take this from me. Three times that cry of his flesh was denied. Three times he expresses submission to his Father's will. And it's here that I find something good on this worst of Fridays. I'll call it courage, heroic courage, the courage to face the physical, emotional, and spiritual pain that he knew was coming. He was going to be tortured, ridiculed, shamed publicly, and put to a slow, agonizing death, and he knew it. Yet in the face of this knowledge and the screaming fight-or-flight physiology of his fully human nature, he doesn't cower, he doesn't flee, he doesn't fight. The Bible has this wonderful expression, and it's first expressed in the prophetic revelations of the Messiah, in the, it's, 
he set his face like flint. And in the New Testament, the same expression is used when Jesus uh, sets it out for his final trip to Jerusalem. He set his face like flint. And clearly, that's what he does now. He's decided. It's settled. He set his face like flint. He will do the Father's will, whatever the cost. Now, this courage is inspiring. It's noble, and it's in stark contrast to the cowardice that Peter and all of the disciples show when they flee in the face of the mob that's come to arrest Jesus. Peter ends up denying that he even knows Jesus, three times no less. We need to be courageous if we are to be Christ followers. We need to follow him wherever he leads, whatever the cost. That's our calling. That's what we as Christians sign up for. Jesus is our example. And his courage led Jesus to accept even the horrors of the crucifixion. Yet there's something deeper than just courage here. Someone once told me that they struggled deeply with Good Friday services because of the guilt they felt when they remembered their own sins and what Jesus had to suffer because of them. Now that's, that's a true insight. Our sins, as we sung, caused Jesus to suffer. Our personal ones. The beatings, the crown of thorns, the scourging, the nails. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record the crucifixion, each with their unique emphasis. And this underscores the fact that it's important to remember the cost of sins forgiven. It humbles us. It places us all on the same level. Each of us would have chosen to save our own skin rather than stand up to the mob and identify Jesus as our friend, let alone our Lord. And each of us has sinned against God and others in countless ways. But there's something better here than simply being overwhelmed by our failures, shortcomings, uh, our offenses, our cowardice, and feeling bad about them. The end of the story is not Jesus condemning Peter for his pathetic denial. What's better in this scenario on this death-dark Friday? It's love. The love of God for you and me. The end of the story is not a thoroughly deserved condemnation. Rather, it's freedom. Freedom to enter into God's love for you. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you're at. And surely, Jesus' forgiveness and eventual restoration of Peter is evidence of that. The end of this story is that he invites us and he's made the way clear for us to enter into a life of feasting and friendship with the living God who made you and loves you. Not feasting with gluttony 
and self-indulgence. Though, don't worry, he does give us all things richly to enjoy. And uh, we do experience that. But it's, no, it's feasting on the actual experience of his love for us. Feasting on the graces that his precious spirit works within our souls. Feasting on the strength and the ability to do the right thing. Thing, to love others even as he's loved us. What we once knew as commandments, as rules, you shall worship the Lord your God only. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not lie. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. You shall not murder. These rules are transformed into prophetic proclamations of freedom and victory. Freedom from slavery to sins. I shall worship God alone. I shall not commit adultery. I shall not steal. I shall not lie. I shall love my neighbor as myself. Something I'd never do before. I shall treat others as I wish to be treated. This is freedom to be fully alive, fully to love. Amen. Yes, the, the right of Jesus to invite any and all of us into forgiveness freedom and a new and everlasting life it was purchased at a price and it behooves us to remember that price as we do on good friday and whenever we share the lord's supper together if only that we wouldn't be surprised when life in a broken world demands that we take up our cross as we follow jesus these are the times when we might be called to have the courage that Jesus models. But we must also see the love that underlies it all. As the scripture says, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down one's life for another. And one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And among the final words from the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Forgive them. What's good about Good Friday? I'm sure many of you would have answered simply this quoting John 3.16. It's the day that God, because he so loved the world, he gave his one and only precious son that whosoever would believe in him, put their trust in him, follow him, might not perish, but have everlasting life. And if you answered that, you'd be right. 
If you have the bread and cup of the Lord's Supper ready uh, now, please prepare to participate in the communion meal. Uh, If you're not ready, feel free to pause the video and resume it when you are. The Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. A couple of weeks ago, Jordan Vendiola led us in communion, and in doing so, he helpfully encouraged us, at least to me, to remember Jesus, not just his death, but him as a person when we celebrate this simple meal. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember me, who I am, Jesus, the humble, noble, courageous man who now reigns in majesty as the Lord over all and who loves you with pure, holy love. Remember him. Remember him today. Once again, let us remember who it is that has invited us to this meal. He's as near to you as your breath, wherever you are. Take the bread and, as, and the cup, and as you do, take a moment now to remember him, Jesus, who he is, what he's done. I'm going to give you a moment to do that. I'm just going to pray thanksgiving for this these elements and this remembrance today. So Lord Jesus, we, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done for us, what you, how you obeyed, how you did the last thing on earth that you wanted to do, but you did it for the joy set before you. We thank you for your body broken for us. We thank you for your blood freely shed for us and the freedom that you bring to our lives, to our spirits, to our souls as a result. Amen. So let's participate by taking the elements right now. The Lord's body broken for you and for me.
the blood of Christ freely shed for you and for me. Jesus, as I said, is near you. You may want to tell him that you accept his offer today, his self-sacrifice for you given out of love. You don't need to change yourself or make yourself acceptable. You just need to admit that you can't do those things by yourself, that you need Jesus to help you, to, to not just help you, to, to change you, to take you, to make you into the person that you truly desire to be and the person that he made you to be in joy. Then invite Jesus to start to do that. Just say, Lord, I give you the right to do that, even to make me willing to let you do that. Maybe you've never done that before. Or maybe you've begun to follow Jesus, but you made a mess of things. Take this opportunity to receive the forgiveness that Jesus purchased for you on that first Good Friday. You can do it simply in your own home or wherever you are. Speak it out loud or just speak it in the depths of your own heart and mind. Accept his invitation. And one day, you'll look back on this day as the best Friday of your life. It's what Good Friday is all about. Now, as the worship team comes up, if that's something you want to do, Simply close your eyes and focus on Jesus and speak to him. Thank you.